0: Listening to a parish podcast, a reimagined faith community. Good morning. Okay, uh, Andrew asked me a couple times if I was nervous, and I said both. I said no both times. So, uh, but now I'm just getting a little shakes here. So this is good. <laughs> Means I'm human. It's good. Uh, uh, Greg Gilbert asked me to dedicate the sermon to him, so that's on you, Greg. Perfect. <laughs> that was when we were camping last weekend uh, up in up in Algonquin. Okay. Um, thank you. I, I, I typed it out, so I'm going I'm I'm to re- read a lot here, but I'll try and uh, if I have to, need to deviate from it, I will as well. So, um, as people of faith, we are called to cultivate places of belonging in our lives. I would like to walk you through examples of what that has looked like in my life, uh, from my upbringing, from where I have worked, and where I currently work. Near the end, I'll lead us through an exercise where we can pause and reflect on how this might apply to someone we belong to. Uh, To begin with, I'd like to set the Old Testament context for welcoming strangers into a place of belonging uh, at a Deuteronomy. Fear the Lord. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God, who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were seventy in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. What does the Lord your God require of you? You are to love those who are foreigners, the immigrants, the refugees in your land. Because you, you hard-headed Israelites, who forget so quickly. You were refugees, forced by famine to travel to Egypt. Remember when you were made to be slaves in Egypt? That was terrible, wasn't it? And so the Lord says out of Leviticus 19, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The reason why I bring up these verses is to not not to talk about national policy changes to immigration or refugee law. I am referring to our own personal lives. Will we welcome the stranger? Will we resist our own racist internal bias, our own selfishness and xenophobia? And will we truly welcome the stranger, the immigrant, the refugee, the traveler, the foreigner, the homeless, those that are not like us? Will we welcome them? I was born in St. Catharines, but grew up uh, as a child from 4 to 18 in Bowmanville, close to here. I grew up in a loving home, I'll say that a few times, it's a loving home. I'll be a bit self-deprecatory towards my own family in this next anecdote here, but it was a very loving home. Uh, My older sister lives here in Peterborough, and some of you know her, um, and I have two younger brothers, Stephen in Toronto and Mark in Hamilton. It was a loving home. I learned some great lessons about the Calvinist work ethic and being thrifty. Classic second generation Dutch immigrant Christian reformed upbringing. And by thrifty, I certainly mean cheap. As an example, uh, I was home one afternoon and my uncle came over, which was a bit of a rarity. I had heard about how you welcome people into your home, and I don't think I'd ever done it before for anyone other than maybe a friend from school. But I thought that you're supposed to offer a guest a drink, so I asked my uncle. Um, would you like something to drink? He asked for a glass of milk. Now, in my head, I was like, you're not allowed to have a full glass of milk. That's only for cereal, and only, uh, even those quantities are are very closely monitored. We don't get full glasses of milk uh, in this home. Um, But what I'm gonna do, he's my uncle, uh, so I get him a glass of milk. Uh, My parents had a store connected to our house, and my mom was likely with a customer at the time, so, went over to my mom and I said, hey, uncle, so-and-so is here. She came into the living room where he was sitting and looked at the glass of milk, and I could read her face. You got him a glass of milk? Uh, Anyways, it was discussed thoroughly at dinner that night, um, like a glass of water maybe, uh, but a glass of milk. Come on, Michael, that's that's certainly too much. my parents, I don't think they had a desire to hang out with other people like I do. Uh, in all my years, I, I thought through them in preparation for this, and I thought, did we actually ever host anyone for dinner at our house? Now, I had friends over for sure, and we would host my grandparents sometimes, but I can't actually remember my parents hosting anybody their age at our house. And if you know Andrew and I, Uh, you know that we love hosting, we love having dinner parties, our children have grown up in a home of hosting friends and strangers, we have had people live uh, with us in our home for months at a time, and if you want a glass of milk, I will get you a glass of milk. No questions. As long as there's milk for coffees in the morning, no problem at all. So I laugh about it now, but there is a vast difference uh, between how I was raised and the family within which my children are being raised. Again both loving families, but the welcoming, uh, the opening up of our lives to share it with others, hosting others, giving of our space to others, cultivating a place of belonging and drawing people intentionally into that space, it's very different. So my question when I was reflecting and preparing for the sermon was, where did that change come from? I moved to Brazil when I was 19, just turning 20, and this was in August of 2001. Uh, I was living with a family, learning Portuguese uh, and for some context, on uh, a, m- a month later was September 11th when the Twin Towers came down. It was a very disorienting time uh, and for the first few months of learning Portuguese and refusing to speak English, uh, it was probably the only lonely period of my life that I can remember. Uh, there was a lot about Brazil that I couldn't understand. The crime, the disparity, between rich and poor, the corruption of government officials, my, my own distrust of the police force there. And I discuss these things with the host family, like, why do you have glass at the top of the concrete wall surrounding your property and then barbed wire on top of that? Just incredulous about this, right? What if a kid tried to climb that over? We don't do that. We don't do that in Canada. We don't worry about this or that in Canada. That's not how we live in Canada. There was a young woman in this family, Jacqueline Orsi, who angrily, Laid it into me one day. Would you just shut up, Michael? We know things are bad here in many ways. Do you know that things were also very bad when I was in Canada? During my first six months in Canada, I remember being cold and I remember being lonely. I don't remember being welcomed in other people's homes like you are here. Why don't you stop whining and appreciate the best that Brazil has to offer? Caete, Michael. It translates to "shut up, Michael," and I still say that to myself sometimes when I when I really need to teach myself something. So a resolution from this, and thank you, Jackie, for that, uh, was uh, that when I was traveling in Brazil and and other countries in years to come, that I would attempt to learn the best from that culture and apply it to my own life. Now, for Brazil and the remainder of the year that I lived there. And for the five months that Andrea and I lived there, after we were married, uh, one of the best parts of Brazilian culture was being welcomed into a place of belonging and being hosted generously. I was welcomed into so many people's homes, and I lived with some of them. And when I returned with Andrea in 2005 for an additional five months, many times we were hosted and welcomed into people's homes. It was an art form in Brazil. The three kisses on either cheek when you greeted somebody, The warm embrace, the bringing into the fold, the stories of each other's lives, the food shared, the laughter shared, the joy of each other's company. It was beautiful. This is what I resolved to take home with me, and I was so so grateful to have been able to share that experience with Andrea when the silver being closed for the winter season. They have a phrase in Portuguese when you miss someone. Estou com saudades de você. Estou com saudades de você. I am with longing for you. Saudades is longing, as in you are not here, and I am longing for you. We belong together. Estokon saudages, you você. What a beautiful feeling. So back to my question, where did that change come from? It also helps that I married someone ingrained in hospitality. Uh, Andrea's parents would often have a meal ready to serve before leaving for church, and they would count on inviting someone home to join them. They hosted people in their family. Andrea lived with two other young women while in college, uh, Lynn and Erica, and they would host dinner parties, often at their apartment. Andrea bought the cafe, Silver Bean, when she was 20, and she made a living of welcoming people into her space, and I was honored to marry into that. I'm going to share a couple a couple verses here. Uh, Peter, uh, he sets the bar quite low. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay, Thanks, Peter. Uh, the writer of Hebrews sets it a bit higher in that we might be entertaining angels. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. But I think that Matthew, recording the words of Christ in red ink, captured it best. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And in verse 40, the the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. In 2006, uh, I started working with refugee families, mainly Christian families from Iraq, fleeing religious persecution, most of them fleeing to Syria, and generally to Damascus. This is with Andrea's grandfather, uh, my mother-in-law Margvin, her father. His name was Gerald Vanderwillek, he's from Ancaster. As a farmer and then as a retired farmer. And right up close to when he died, he facilitated the administrative work required for refugee sponsorships, and I I expressed a desire to learn this from him. Starting with the Vietnamese boat people in the early 1980s, people from Pakistan, people from Somalia, from numerous other countries over the years, and then finishing with families from Iraq. When he died, uh, the sponsorship agreement holder, called World Renew, it was formerly known as the Christian Reformed World Relief Committee, or the CRWRC, They made it very clear to me that the method by which Father Jerry, uh, that was his name, the method by which he did sponsorships would not be continued in the same manner by me. So if you picture this, he had a church in Hamilton that was essentially a blind sponsor on refugee applications. And there's lots of forms for sponsorship applications. The stack is like that thick once you send it in. One of which is a final page on where the church commits to a sponsorship, and an elder or a signing authority uh, from the church signs that final page. It's it's a significant page. Well, uh, he photocopied that final page, one that carries a lot of weight, and he would attach them to the end of sponsorships. (laughs) The families in Toronto and Hamilton that had refugee families overseas would commit to sponsoring them, to being the de facto sponsors for their first year in Canada, in the same way that the church in Hamilton was supposed to. And the church was actually on the hook to do so if things messed up, which they never did. He told me they messed up once, but that was fine. Uh, Jerry was a bit of a rogue in the refugee sponsorship world, and he was highly loved and very effective. In the over 30 years of administrative headaches, waiting on bureaucrats, praying, receiving the good news of upcoming arrivals, as well as the crushing news of refusals, Sharing that good or bad news with families, and even receiving many of them into, his, into their own home, Father Jerry and then the network of support behind him saw 642 individual refugees come to Canada. It's impressive for a farmer from Ancaster. And I dove into the refugee work. Uh, he also had two granddaughters, Andrew's and cousins, uh, one who studied immigration law, and one who has worked for the United, United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. So he, le- he left a legacy of welcoming refugees over his lifetime, passed down like a mantle to future generations, and positively affecting literally hundreds of families' lives. So I wanted to raise a toast to Jerry. To Jerry. Yeah. By 2009, this led me to working at the New Canadian Centre, helping newcomers find jobs here in Peterborough. And then at the end of 2015, the Syrian refugee crisis happened. Mind you, Andrew and I are hosting people this whole time. Dinner parties, people living in our home for months at a time, strangers becoming friends, becoming part of our family. William is born in 2011 and Grace in 2014, the spark and joy of our lives. With the Syrians, I was over a year in that specific role, uh, um, welcoming 45 Syrian refugee families during that time. And here are a few nuggets of wisdom that I learned during that time that I would like to share with you. Just because the Syrian men are smoking cigarettes doesn't mean you have to, okay? That's my first nugget of wisdom, okay? If you treat people like a problem, they will be a problem. And how you welcome people often determines future success. And that's probably the most important the third one there. Bringing refugee families into a sense of belonging, a feeling of belonging, actual belonging, takes intention, culturally relevant strategy, a community of people who speak the language, a sacrifice of time and resources, and a desire to learn from your mistakes within a broader welcoming community. And we made a lot of mistakes, but one of the important lessons we came to understand is that social connections built resiliency. We established support groups behind each of the families that came. And these support groups did things like taking the family to the zoo, eating together, getting bicycles for the kids and teaching them how to ride them, going on shopping trips. And they spent time together. This church, the parish, sponsored one family to come to Peterborough. And I remember it being difficult to understand their culture and why they did things the way that they did. When they moved to London, Ontario, I think that there was a sigh of relief among the group, um, particularly the core group that was working with them, as it was a lot of work to visit them and spend time with them, but it was worth it. Yeah. How you welcome people often determines future success. For the last four years, I have worked for a small nonprofit called One City Peterborough. Building a sense of belonging with refugee families was challenging, but I would say that doing this work in the homelessness sector is really, really difficult. A combination of mental health needs and substance use really do a number on people's lives. One City Peterborough is an organization that believes that everyone belongs and that together we flourish. It's in our name, One City. We are One City. The people that are at the margins, sleeping in tents outside right now, they are citizens here, and they are part of our community. To that end, we focus on supporting those who have experienced homelessness or criminalization towards their full inclusion in the, into the community. Our values speak about who we are, and they sh- and they shape the work that we do. And these are the values that we point to as we engage in the work. And they are belonging. Dignity, courage, trust, and love. Our first value listed in this sermon series title is Belonging. Now, in this work, um, there are a lot of hopeless stories. And I should have, sometimes I think I should have stayed in the refugee work. Much more hopeful and full of life and new beginnings. But this is where I am. I'm happy here. Um, I'm the housing director with One City, and I manage the various properties that we have. New properties that we are purchasing or setting up with private landlords and all the issues of maintaining and repairing properties we already have. Other team members do housing supports, community development, street outreach, employment teams, our programs. And we have a vet program for people who can't afford vet care. And last winter we ran a drop-in shelter program in the wintertime so that people wouldn't have to freeze to death outside. And we house people. That's what I do, I house people. There's a lot to be hopeless about, and I experience it palpably, tangibly. I can feel it every day I work. However, I'd like to focus on some of the magic that happens when people connected to our agency come to a place of belonging. And I'll paint paint that picture for you. We set up some homes with private landlords where we provide support and manage the house. Some tenants have come from camping, in tents. Some from dissolving housing situations, and where we know about it, and we, where they also oh, where, where where we know uh, we know about their dissolving housing situation because they're connected to circles of support that we run. Jenny Kennedy Bloom, she runs a, uh, an employment program uh, at One City. Some of you know her well. Uh, If you've seen those wearing red shirts downtown uh, cleaning the sidewalks with their their carts, that's the employment team or one aspect of the employment team that, that Jenny runs. The employment team has expanded to doing renovations of buildings and construction jobs. So we purchased a house last year that we've been fixing up and it will be for older men coming out of the prison system. Some of our tenants from different houses have joined the employment team uh, where they are fixing up this old home together. So that's some of the magic, is when, when some of the tenants that we house start uh, joining our employment teams and doing, especially doing more complex tasks together. Belonging is when one of our workers who has experienced so much loneliness and rejection, it's him showing up at a coworker's house, having been invited to watch a hockey game. Both formerly homeless, now working together and feeling good about it and watching hockey together. The feeling is, I exist. I am welcomed here. I am an equal here. I laugh here, and I let my guard down. I can be myself here. I am connected to someone here. Someone knows me. I am loved. I belong. Okay, I'm approaching the personal exercise that I spoke about, and it has to do with my sister, Laura. We belong to each other, my, my sister and I. We, my sister lives a very different life than I do because she has bipolar. She lives next door to Andrew and I. Um, she used to live in our basement apartment that was way too close. She used to live across town, and when she was not doing well, that was way too far away. So next door is great. I love my sister. I've not always loved her, nor have I always treated her well. My feelings towards her have shifted a lot over the last few years. When I am doing well, in my heart, I allow myself to be vulnerable with my sister, Laura. When I'm not doing well, I am scornful and judgmental and short with her. I've often reflected that my measure of success in life is not how much money I have or of how powerful the position I am in. The measure of my life is whether or not my heart stays tender. So the measure of my life is whether or not my heart stays tender. My relationship with Laura, one of belonging to someone else, to be connected to someone else, is a barometer of that success, that measure of success. My willingness to maintain a tender heart. And when I don't have a tender heart, I don't want to belong to anyone. Now, this exercise, which I'm going to kind of draw you into, is not meant to be for everyone, but I'd like everyone to do it. We're almost done. Please close your eyes and think of a person in your life that you belong to, that you are connected to, that whether you like it or not, you will be connected with this person for a long time, maybe your whole life. If you can't think of someone, just ask God to remind you of someone, to show you someone. with your eyes still closed and with that person in mind, ask God to touch your heart with the things you need to do to maintain a connection full of life and love and belonging with that person. You might be sending them a text or writing them a letter, making more time for them in your life, reprioritizing things to make space for them. You might be asking for forgiveness might be taking them out for lunch. Okay, you can open your eyes. So I asked that question earlier, where did that change come from? Where did that change come from that allowed me to welcome people, to work with refugees, to see my sister differently? I'm not entirely sure. I think it came from being part of a loving community that drew me into a place where I looked at things differently. So summing up, Uh, we belong to each other. We are stronger as a community when we cultivate a place of belonging. Amen.